verse 25, and we are going all the way to somewhere in 32, I believe. 21? 21. That's fine. Okay. All right. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages, and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you, and how your livestock have fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb, and the spotted and the speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen." Laban said, Good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were stripped, that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and put them in the charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places, where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks and the troughs before the eyes of the flock, that they, that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was, and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before. But the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, The spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, The striped shall be your wages, 
than all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land, and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock and his possession that he had acquired in Padan Aram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill, the hill country of Gilead. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me? And did not tell me, so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs, with tambourine and lyre. And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let not my lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household gods. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, 
What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us two. These twenty years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was, by day the heat consumed me, and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I have been in your house. I served you fourteen years for your two daughters, and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, Surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have borne? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, Gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jagar Sehadutha, but Jacob called it Gilead, or Galid. Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore he named it Gilead and Mizpah, for he said, The Lord watched between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters, or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and the pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness, that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac, And Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. Chapter 32 Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. So he called the name of that place uh, Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, 
Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you, and there are four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking, If Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, To whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, They belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third, and all who followed the droves, you shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him, and you shall say, Moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. verses, but there's a lot in here that I'm really excited to kind of connect together. And there's this one thread that kind of continues as we, just as we kind of get to know Jacob and kind of see how his story is playing out. There's a couple of things that happen in these two, um, two and a half chapters, three, almost three chapters that we read today, um, which by the way, that I think I looked at the slide number. I think it was like 99 verses you guys read. So good on you. Um, but it's just, 
seeing how these relationships that Jacob has and seeing the ways that he's treated people and been treated by people up to this point in his life, um, it's interesting to see Jacob kind of have to face his past in one way or another. Uh, it's, it's very different in his relationship with Esau. He doesn't know what his relationship with Esau is like at this point. He doesn't know what kind of mood Esau is going to be in whenever he does see him again. Uh, with Laban, they've had kind of a troubled back and forth relationship where, where you know, Jacob hasn't really done anything wrong against Laban up to this point, but Jacob um, has, been, has been wronged by Laban, and Jacob has kind of outsmarted Laban on a couple of different occasions, and we got a great description of all of that. We're not going to get into all of the science behind why laying striped sticks near a feeding trough creates striped flocks, because, I don't know, that one, that one, that one kind of got me. I'm like, okay, so that happened, and they, because they saw stripes, I don't know. I don't know how that works. I don't understand the science, but what we know is that, that Jacob... Um, outsmarted Laban, who was trying to take away all of the payment that he owed Jacob. And we kind of see how their relationship established to the point that Jacob uh, kind of tried to sneak away because he was afraid that his relationship with Laban was so bad that Laban would, would either take everything away from him or trap him for another 20 years. Um, so we see in both of these cases that at one point or another, Jacob is either going to have to prepare to face a relationship from his past, somebody who he's who he's wronged in a sense or hurt in a sense, and then somebody who he's had this kind of tumultuous, trying relationship with, and we're going to and we're going to see how he's going to face that in the moment. And 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 again, just to kind of reiterate this theme that we keep coming back to, not everything that these guys who are who are portrayed as kind of the protagonists in our stories, all of our our heroes. All the, all the guys that we think of, they're the good guy, this is the bad guy. They're the good guy, this is the bad guy. That's the way we tend to look at it. Don't think that any of these people are perfect because all of the characters in all of these stories are still sinners just like us. So, not again, not everything in here is prescriptive. Not everything in here is, well, that's the way they handle it, so that's the way you should handle it. Now, I think there's a lot that we can pull out in here and learn about how we as the church should, should handle these sorts of situations. And, and I think we can kind of learn a little bit about the hearts of where people are and get some, I guess, practical understanding about the ways that Jacob and his family are maturing and growing closer to God. We talked about sanctification a lot last week. And we see how sanctification, you know, that process of becoming more holy, becoming more like God, we see that that's taking place in his life because, because he's referencing God's calling me to do this. I have to, call, I have to follow the things that God is calling me to. And so, and so what happens is Jacob, after having been pulled away out of his family's land, he's been, he's been living far away for a long period of time, he's finally getting this call that it's time to go back. And we see it's been 20 years. He worked for Laban for 14 years so that he could, he could marry, ultimately so that he could marry Rachel, even though he also ended up marrying Leah during that process. So, so for 14 years, he's worked for Laban in that case, and then we, see to, we saw this morning that he worked for another six years building up and gathering this flock and becoming very wealthy and very successful because he was such a, a wise uh, shepherd, because he had such good... I mean, you could say he had this kind of amazing business practice when it comes to 
breeding and growing a strong flock. And, and through that, God continued to bless him. And he saw that it was God who was blessing him. Because he said, he even said, if God hadn't been with me, you would have stolen all my stuff by now. So God, he, he's, he's starting to grow and understand how his relationship with God works and that it is God who's been working with him and, and blessing him and growing him all this time. But, but ultimately, he desired to be back in the land of promise. He knew that the place that he had been living for the last 20 years was not his home. And that's the first thing that I want us to look at. Even though he's been there for 20 years and he's been focused on working for 20 years and God has been blessing him for 20 years in that place, that place was still not his home. He was still sojourning. He was still kind of wandering. He was still visiting in that land. It wasn't the place where he would call home. If somebody said, where is home? He would say, in Canaan with my father's family. Right? He was not home. He was in this place that he'd been called away for work for a period of time. And like, and like Jacob, I want us to realize that that is not something that should be a foreign idea to us. We are also sojourning in a land that is not our home. We ultimately do not belong here. If you are in Christ, you have a new home with God, in the fa- with the family that you have been adopted into. And this broken and sinful place in which we live is only the temporary place where we are working. This is only the place where we have been called to minister and to serve in that way. Hebrews 13, 14 says, For here... We have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. And that's kind of where Jacob is at that point. So I think we can kind of relate to Jacob in this idea. This is not the place that I ultimately want to be. There's somewhere better. There's some place that I'm I'm ultimately going where, where that is going to be home. This place that's filled with all of this this pain and bitterness and sin and deception. That's not the place that Jacob was meant to be forever. He was ultimately called to a different place. And just like that, we too should not see all of our surroundings and think this is the end. We should think, I'm going somewhere better. I'm being called somewhere else. And so Jacob, we, we kind of, and we got, and again, I'm not going to get into all the details of the deal that he worked out with Laban, but, but Laban said, I've done really well with you sitting here working for me. How can I pay you now? And he said, I just want you to pay me in flocks. I will work for you for several more years, and I just want, I just want half. And, and, and he said, this is the way that you'll know that I'm not deceiving you, because any of the, the nice, pristine, white lambs and goats... Those are yours. So you can come look and you can see if I've been deceptive, which is, which is a new thing for Jacob. Again, I want you to see that he is growing. He's saying, I don't want you to think I'm cheating you, which has not been you know, natural to his character up to this point. Jacob makes a fair deal. And it's still one that Laban doesn't even treat honorably. Because as soon as he says, I just want all of the spotted and speckled and striped ones, what does Laban do? He quickly runs and gives all those to his sons. And he tries to keep Jacob from being able to get the wages that he's earned. I mean, we see, and Jacob has, says this twice, ten times Laban changed my wages. He hasn't treated me fairly once since I started. But this is, this is kind of what he expects. But, but even still, he doesn't lose faith that God is going to continue to bless him. And he works, and he works hard, 
And God does bless him, and he does grow these strong flocks to the point that, that really he has taken most of the wealth away from Laban just because of the way that God has blessed him, and God has kind of given all of Laban's wealth back to Jacob. You know, Laban thought, oh, I can get away with this. I'll just give all these to my sons, and then he won't be able to breed spotted and striped and black sheep and goats and that sort of thing. But he forgot that he was dealing with a really shrewd guy in Jacob who was able to kind of overcome that through the blessing of God. And so Jacob became wealthy and powerful because of what God grew in him. And, and Laban's sons began to see this, and, and Jacob began to hear talk that, yeah, I think, I think, I think Jacob's taken all of our stuff. We should, we should go do something about this. We should push back. We should, we should go talk to our father about this, and maybe he can, he can pull some of this wealth back. And I think, and Jacob saw it coming, but then ultimately he got this call from God. It's time to go home. And he said, we got to just go. we got to cut ties, and we just got to go because, because I'm worried that Laban will cheat me again. And so he calls his family. And I think it's cool to see, again, we, we've already seen that, that Leah and Rachel, neither of them are, are, are perfect. Neither of them are perfectly holy and sanctified yet. We've seen some of the, the ways that they dealt with one another last week in kind of their battle back and forth to see who could have the most kids. But, but even in this moment, they say, wherever God's calling you, we're ready to go. Which, which if you think back to when Isaac was getting ready to marry Rebecca, that was what she said right away. Wherever I'm supposed to go, I'm ready. Let's go. And you see that in them now. They're ready to follow Jacob wherever God is calling him. His, obedient, his immediate obedience demonstrates how much closer he has become to God. How much he has grown. And so we get this little, this little aside about Rachel stealing all these household gods from Laban. And, and she goes and she takes them and it makes Laban angry and he comes and he kind of searches through all of Jacob's stuff and she hides them in a super deceptive way, which we're not going to get all into. You can go back and read that on your own if you want to. But she, she hides these things. She deceives her father. Jacob has no idea. So, so he steps up to bat in defense of his wife and says, how can you claim that she's done this? You haven't found anything. I'm totally innocent. And so we're again reminded that, that Rachel is still acting deceptively. She's still acting a little bit of the way prior to sanctification that you would expect her. And, and there's, there's several different reasons she could have taken these household gods from Laban. It could be that they were just merely images of ancestors, almost like taking a photo album, like just to remember her family by. That's one option. Uh, she could have still held some sort of fondness or superstition for these household gods. She still isn't fully invested in believing and pursuing a relationship with the one true God. So it could mean that she's trying to protect herself from Laban by, by superstitiously taking these things from him. It could just be that they were made of some sort of valuable material, and she thought, this is one more way to make sure that we're going to be you know, taken care of financially. We can sell this for the material. And then I was, as I was looking through, there were a couple of different commentaries, and, and I, don't, I think this one's probably the least likely given the way that she was um, acting when her father came and she was acting so deceptively. It could be that she was trying to take away her dad's household idols to try to say, you don't need these things, and it was means of maybe some sort of evangelism. There was some speculation toward that. 
I don't think it really fits with the way her character is being represented um, in this instance, so I kind of tend to shy away from that. So it's kind of hard to take that noble option as her motivation. Um, but Jacob honorably guards his wife because he didn't know. So it's not like he was also deceiving, deceiving Laban. He was saying, hey, you didn't find anything. You need to back off, which, which is great. And, it's, and, and that's a, a noble and honorable thing for a husband to do on behalf of his wife. But she's lying to cover up her sin. She, it's just demonstrating that they are not in the same place spiritually. They have not grown at the same rate. And I think it's worth noting for us as the church, as we are in close relationships with different people, that we are going to be at different points in our sanctification along the way. Whether that's in in our friendships, whether that's with our parents or our children, whether that's with our spouses, no matter what. Just because two people are saved does not mean that you you become equally sanctified. Spouses, children, parents, friends. We should all work together to spur one another towards spiritual growth, but we should never expect that we will automatically be at the same level as everybody else. Hey, I have matured to this point. You should be at this point with me. It may not be the case. We all mature at different rates. We all grow in different ways. We all have different experiences that contribute to the way in which God matures us as believers. And even though Jacob has now been married to Leah and Rachel for seven years, no, sorry, seven, 13 years, math, a long time, and we've seen that he's grown much closer to God, and we've seen that, that Leah and Rachel have grown closer to God as well. The fact that, they're still demonst- that Rachel is still demonstrating this means they probably just haven't grown into the same place yet. There's still room for growth And they're not necessarily in the same place. So we shouldn't put those kinds of expectations on ourselves or on each other either. We should encourage each other to grow, but we shouldn't say, you ought to be at this point because I am at this point. Or vice versa. We shouldn't put a bar over our heads so high that says, I should be so much higher because you are here and become discouraged. And so ultimately, Jacob and Laban agree to part ways. And they decide to make a covenant together. Basically, they're going to set the boundaries where they're going to split and they're going to say, I'll just stay over here and I won't interfere with you anymore. And, I'm, and the other's going to go this way and he won't interfere either. It's kind of this whole, when we're together, one of us tends to try to either deceive, cheat, or outsmart and swindle the other. So it's probably best that we separate. But we can do this peaceably. We can, we can say, at this point, we're going to take the things that God's given us, and we're just going to go our separate ways. And so they say, we're going to set up this altar as a, as a symbol of this covenant between the two of us. And I think it's worth noting. This is one of those really easily missable details, but one that's so uh, important to us as we're trying to understand the motivations behind the hearts of these guys. Because they set up two altars. How many stones does Jacob use to set up his? Who was paying attention? One. How many stones does Laban use to set up his? A heap. What do you think that's trying to represent? 
Jacob's trying to say, I'm setting up a single pillar to the one God that I'm willing to serve. And Laban's like, I'll just throw a bunch of rocks in here because who knows what I believe, basically. There are so many gods out there that I believe in. I'm just going to kind of make a heap. And I love that it describes it as a heap. Like, like Jacob says, set up a pillar. And Laban sets up a heap of stones. Just a big pile of rocks. And I think that's just so interesting to note just to see the ways that these guys' beliefs are motivating them because Laban still believes in all of these different gods. And so it's not surprising that we've seen little growth in him. We've seen lots of deception. We've seen lots of trickery. We've seen lots of, you know, theft. And with Jacob, we're starting to see this man who's growing to believe and follow the one true God. He's had this experience and we're seeing him slowly be changed, slowly be sanctified, slowly growing. And that's represented here in this covenant. And so they part ways and Jacob starts going back toward Canaan. And, and as he's there, he's, he's kind of greeted by this angelic greeting yet again. It's just this kind of reminder that upon re-entering Canaan, it shows that he has indeed returned to this land of promise. Like he's, he's been out in that land that wasn't his home. He's been sojourning. He's been on this journey, on this, on this mission where he went out. And now as he's coming home, he's kind of being welcomed back into the presence of God in a way that he hasn't been in the last 20 years. He's returned to the land of promise. And this is where I think it's cool to kind of see the transition between Jacob's past with Laban kind of catching up to him and Jacob's past with Esau kind of catching up to him. Because, because when Jacob last saw Esau, he had, he had just taken everything from him. So it's not surprising that we get this description of Jacob as being afraid of his brother. We already know his brother's tougher than him, right? Think back to that whole description. He was the strong hunter type, great beard, all that. Like, like that's, that's the guy. And we already know what Jacob was. He was... He was the little shepherd mama's boy who couldn't grow a beard, right? If they get in a fight, who's going to win? We know, Esau, right? So he's terrified because last time he stole everything from him. He deceived their father, took his blessing, and went away. Ran. And so, and so we see that... that as, as Jacob is leaving this past where he's built up all of this tension with Laban and they've agreed to kind of part ways peacefully, as he looks ahead, it's kind of this reminder, oh yeah, there's still one more piece of my past that I have to deal with. There's one more thing that's still lingering out there that he's afraid of. But here we see another example of Jacob's sanctification. In his fear, this time, instead of saying, here's what I'll do to fix it, or here's how I'll trick him to think I'm okay, Jacob instead goes to God in prayer. When he realizes, I have to go see my brother who's probably still really mad at me, his first reaction, and this is worth noting, his first reaction is to go to God. And listen to the things that he says in his prayer. I'm just going to kind of paraphrase all of the things from his prayer here. He says, God, I am trusting and following your call. 
I'm trusting that because you've said go home, that you're going to take care of me as I go back. I'm trusting and following your call. Second thing he prays, God, I am not worthy of you. He knows that he hasn't earned this favor. He knows he hasn't earned this blessing from God because he knows who he has been. He knows how he has treated people. He knows what sin has been present in his life. God, I am not worthy of you. And then he thanks God. You have already blessed me with so much. Right? When I left, I had a stick. And now when I come back, I have two whole camps of people and things. God, you've already given me so much. Four, he says, you've promised to do good for me. And he asks him to please continue to be faithful to that promise. He remembers what God has already told him and prays that he would have faith to continue to believe in those promises that God has already made. He remembers the past and asks for the, the, the power to continue to believe in what God has already said to him in the past. And the fifth thing is that his hope is based on those promises. He has hope that this is going to be okay, that this, this relationship with Esau is going to work out because God has made these promises and he is ready to trust in those promises. I'm going to read those five things again because I think that's, that's a really cool prayer that he's prayed. And I think there's a lot in there that we can, we can say. So I'm going to go back through them quickly. God, I'm trusting and following your call. I'm not worthy of you or the blessings you've given me. But I'm thankful that you have already blessed me with so much. You've promised to do good things for me. Help me to continue to be faithful in remembering that promise. My hope is based on those promises. If we could pray like that when we get afraid, when we get overwhelmed, when things get hard, I think we'd be in a great place. And note, he didn't try to... He, remember the, one of the last prayers that we saw between God and Jacob was him saying, if you'll do this and this and this and this and this, then I'll do this. I'll believe you. But now he's just saying, I got nothing. I'm trusting you. Help get me through. And after he prays, he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to divide up some of my things and I'm going to send some presents to Esau. Now, I think... In a sense, there is a little bit of, maybe I can butter him up and he won't like punch me in the face when he sees me. But at the same time, I was thinking through this and, and it kind of reminded me of um, the 12 steps. If, you, if you're familiar with the 12 steps, a lot of those are kind of rooted in the gospel. And one of those steps, step nine, says this, make direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. There's this step that says, after you've realized you have wronged somebody and you desire to rebuild that relationship, reconnect with them, make whatever amends you can make to restore that relationship. So what is it that Jacob had taken from Esau? He'd taken 
ultimately his inheritance. He'd taken his birthright. He'd taken all of these things that Jacob has now been blessed and built up in all of these flocks. So in a sense, by giving him these things, he's kind of restoring some of the things that he had stolen from him as an attempt to make amends for the brokenness within their relationship. And you may be thinking, you can't, you can't preach a sermon just based on 12 steps. And so I looked in the Bible, and it turns out that this really is a biblical idea. And I kind of want to connect those things to us real quick right here before we're done. Leviticus chapter 6, 1 through 7 says this. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit or security or through robbery, or if he's oppressed his neighbor or has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely in any of all the things that the people do and sin thereby. That basically means and anything else because you'll come up with some creative way to sin outside of this list. If he has sinned and has realized his guilt and will restore what he took by robbery or what he got by oppression or the deposit that was committed to him or the lost thing that he found or anything about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore it in full and shall add a fifth to it and give it to him to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. And he shall bring to the priest as his compensation to the Lord a ram without blemish out of the flock or its equivalent for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven for any of the things that one may do and thereby become guilty. He's basically saying in this, the law is built around this idea that people will deceive one another and take things from one another. And when that happens, make it right. That's the bottom line. Make it right with the person that you have sinned against. Let's keep going. Here's a, here's a kind of a, a New Testament look to this. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 through 26 says, So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put into prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Again, this idea of as you have sinned against people, as you have taken things from people, as you owe people things, the people of God should desire to, to make those things right. Now you may be saying, that Old Testament one, that sounds very works-based. Just go pay them back and then you'll be forgiven if you do these things. That's what it sounds like. Or, or, or it's just saying, you'll be good if you just pay people back or if you work, it outside, work out a deal outside of court. Then you're fine. Everything's good. But there's, there, there's, more, there, there's, there's one more thing that I want us to realize in here, and it's through um, one of my favorite childhood stories in the Bible, Luke chapter 19, 1 through 10. So Jesus is, is walking around teaching and meeting people, and it says, He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, 
Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. That's a loaded sentence right there. We could talk a whole lot about that. But we go on. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, and this is what I want us to notice, Today salvation has come to this house, since he, is all, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And this is the thing. We're see- and I'm going to try to connect this back to Jacob. As Jacob is getting ready to send all these gifts ahead to kind of smooth things over with Esau, as he's wanting, but at the same time as he's, as he's making up for what he has taken from him. And God has blessed him greatly, even in that. We see this desire to make things right. And what we see in this story with Zacchaeus is that the desire to make things right, this desire to make amends, this desire to restore to people the things that you've taken from them, does not come to us naturally. It's not a thing that we should expect to be really good at right away. To be able to say, I want to make sure I pay all these things back. That that doesn't come naturally to us. In fact, if we're in sin, we're probably resolute to just stay right there and keep the things that we've taken and said they're ours. I earned these through whatever means, even if they were a bit deceptive. But ultimately, though, making amends can repair relationship, and the desire to repair relationships really comes from a changed heart that has had a relationship first repaired with Jesus. Listen to that end. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. His goal is to come and save people who are lost. That summary is trying to say that's what just happened in the previous nine verses. It's trying to say, I came to save this guy. When Jesus saves us and changes our hearts, we all of a sudden have this new desire to make amends, to reconnect, to reconcile with one another. The desire to reconcile with one another follows our initial reconciliation with our Creator, with Jesus. Salvation is the key. And that's what I want us to see in Jacob. He has been deceptive, but now is wanting to reconnect, wanting to reconcile, wanting to get back together with his brother. And that only comes as we are being changed and sanctified by God, as we become more like Christ. So I don't want you to hear all these things I'm saying and think, oh, there's this person that I've sinned against. If I just go do this thing, everything's good. What I want you to hear is, if you have been saved, you have already had a relationship that was broken beyond repair that you could do nothing for, restored by Jesus, by the work of Christ on the cross. He has already restored you into relationship with him. Remembering what he has done, just like like Jacob, remembering in his prayer what God had already done for him. You can, in faith, 
begin to reconcile and restore relationships with those that you've broken. And in doing so, are going to be saying, "This this is what God has made of me. This is how I have been changed by virtue of my growth and my sanctification with our Creator. So, I mean, there are so many different ways that you could practically apply this idea. But, but first, I just want to make sure that we all recognize what I'm saying with regard to being reconciled to God. That we, that we all hear that you can have this restored relationship with your Creator. And if you have that, I want you to recognize that that work, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The chapter with which we named our church, right? Christ came and performed this great work of reconciliation and left the work of reconciliation to us. That's our job as the church, to rebuild and reconnect relationships, first to God and with each other. And all of this that we're seeing Jacob playing out, all of this kind of peaceable working out with Laban that we saw in the end, this this ability that Jacob has now to begin to restore and correct these broken relationships is all reflective of the way that God has been changing him. And so as God changes us, when we have brokenness in our lives, when we have broken relationships, we have severed ties between friends or family, we can see this, we we can recognize this change that's already happened in us, between us and God. And then pray that he will continue to give us faith in the promises that he's given us, just like Jacob, and follow him in faith toward rebuilding and reconciling those those relationships because that is the work that we have been called to. Let's pray.